0: Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Genie, and after an extended hiatus, this is Ambassadors at Large. So, a lot has happened since our last uh, last podcast, uh, which was more than four months ago. Uh, it was back in August, so I guess it was about five months ago now. Uh, I moved to New York. I took a contract with the United Nations for a few months. I did not bring my microphone with me, and thus all podcasts ceased. Uh, We also had a second episode of the uh, What Happens When ISIS Collapses uh, that uh, unfortunately had audio problems and will never see the light of day, which is why there's part one, but not any subsequent parts. and oh yeah, we had a presidential election in the United States, and we have a new president elect, and that is what we're actually going to talk about today. So I'm delighted to welcome back my good friends Ethan Chang and Ronnie Weiss, who uh, graced the very first episode of this podcast, uh, guys. My first question to you is, how much do you like winning?
1: This is a trick question. What? <laughs> <laughs> if you I stand enjoy- to this question. I en- I enjoy it more than losing and uh that's that's how a lot of these days feel thus far.
0: We we had sort of planned to do this episode immediately after the uh election took place and then several months went by and we're now recording it right before the inauguration. Um so uh, many 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 hours of podcasting time in the podcast verse have been devoted to analyzing why did Trump win. But we're going to do our own little mini version right now, because I think the very first question we have to ask before asking what's going to happen next in America is, is why uh, did this man get unexpectedly elected the way that he was? Uh, And there are sort of many competing theories. There's the uh, Comey tipped the election theory. There's the fake news tipped the election theory. There's the WikiLeaks and Russia tipped the election theory. There's uh, and and then there's the was Hillary actually a bad candidate and Bernie should have wa- been nominated or somebody else should have been nominated theory. Um, most of these theories sort of assume that Trump was a bad candidate. And I feel like the the numbers kind of bear that out. He's uh, Matthew Iglesias just wrote this piece noting that Trump is possibly the least popular incoming president ever. Uh, his approval rating right now is 37 percent. Uh, Barack Obama's entering office was something like 72% if I remember correctly. Um, f- 53 to 39 is the margin by which Americans say that that uh, Trump is not honest. 52% say that Trump quote unquote does not care about average Americans end quote and 62% say that he is quote not level headed end quote. And basically like at most of America like, at least half of America and probably more than half of America has disliked this man throughout his campaign, and yet he won. So why do we think that happened?
2: Well, first I want to ask that, so the 37%, I, I think they call that a jobs approval rating. Is that, That's the one, right? Yeah, his job approval rating is
0: 37%. 51% say they disapprove of the job that he is doing. And, uh, what job
2: is that that we disapprove of? <laughs> it's like the job, as, as far as it seems to me, the job that he's performing right now is figuring out how to short circuit the entire country and make everyone in the country look like a complete fucking idiot. And he's doing a bang up job at that. He's doing a perfect job at that. And I couldn't imagine anyone doing a better job at that. So I guess well, I approve of his job. I, I haven't started this job yet.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, although he's been more sort of active in terms, you know, I, I remember the previous presidential transitions, uh, there was always this emphasis that we there's only one president at a time but i've never i've just never seen anything like for instance when the united states abstained on the the israel settlements resolution and trump immediately tweeted as for the un things will be different soon or something to that effect uh, just directly in, in, interfering and and, and uh, uh, opining on the the goings on of the final days of the obama administration so uh, he's sort of like doing a dry run for being president while being president-elect. But I would say he, his job right now is president-elect. We have we have, we have have president-elected the man as a nation, and he is president-elect. Uh, and hopefully, if I edit this podcast in an expedient manner, uh, this podcast will be out before he actually becomes president on the 20th.
1: I think that, you know, I, I mean, as president-elect and within that system of, you know, one president at a time— there is the transition. That is his job. And probably some part of the lack of approval comes from the idea people had of the distinction of taking him seriously versus literally and literally versus seriously. I mean, there are plenty of blogs that are dedicated to the people who voted for him uh, and now are like, don't take away my health insurance. So... Uh, the the disconnect, I, I think there are two phases to this. There's the initial part of a, that has nothing to do with the election, this kind of, you know, the the right wing echo chamber that doesn't have anything to do with science or facts or, you know, the they talk about post-truth now, but I think that's been going on for, for quite a while when it comes to people segmenting off and listening to whatever they want to listen to. So, They were already hearing what they wanted to hear. Uh, The fake news is just kind of the next extension of that, of the the confirmation bias of not only only listening to the facts that you agree with, but now going, well, you know, things that aren't true, who cares? Because they sound like they could be true anyway. So I, I don't know that that leap was as big as a lot of people make it out to be. Um, The other component is the actual campaign and election wherein they consistently said that these were the only two people who could lose to one another. Um, So I I think that, yes, she was an incredibly weak candidate, and I think a lot of people are focusing on the kind of nitty-gritty of things too much as opposed to really listening to how many people hated her, and hated her to an irrational degree. I mean, there are plenty of people in my own life who I spoke to about this and they they resented her so much because they had to support Trump who they also didn't like. And it was this bizarre sort of a thing of I uh, th- that I could never understand the equivalence that they were making between what the two of them did and you keep looking at the the very consistent small comparatively range of things that Hillary has done to upset people in terms of her behavior, and the never-ending stream of things that Trump, we find out about, and that he continues to do. And the fact that people could equivalent both of those two things I, has never made sense and will never make sense to me.
0: This is why I, I, this whole recent scandal that's erupted about the whole the dossier and the possibility that the, the Russians have damaging information on Trump. What could possibly be worse than what came out during the actual campaign? Like I, I feel like it's impossible to blackmail someone who has no shame.
2: I mean, if we actually discover that he's a pawn of the Russian government, that would be worse to us. But... Uh, like, I'm trying to envision the scenario where we actually discover that, and it does cause a, a change in the course that we're headed. Like, where it actually does somehow bite him, and I just can't imagine it. Uh, the term "fake news" being leveled at uh, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that got published to Barry Clinton has been great for Donald Trump because it's given him a two syllable buzz phrase that he can bring out whenever anyone says anything about him. Like, we can have a recording of him putting his hand on the fucking Bible and saying that he pledges allegiance to Vladimir Putin and the state of Russia. And that video could come out and he could just say, it's fake. They made it up. It's fake. It's computer graphics. It's fake.
0: Yeah, can, can we? Can we? And people would yeah. buy it. Can we? Can we talk for just a minute about the, the sort of we were going to do this a little later in the podcast, but but this press conference that just happened a couple of days ago, uh, where. Trump refused to take a question from CNN because they had reported the, the dossier's existence, um, and he called them fake news. And repeatedly interrupted the interrupted the uh, the reporter who was trying to ask a question, and finally just shouted him down. and 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 then the the other, which which itself is kind of worrying worrying in in terms of the the precedent for discrediting and, and defaming and and intimidating uh, the the media for reporting things, but also the, the immediate aftermath of it really struck a, a chord for, you know, a lot of people have, have thrown the word word authoritarian around to describe Trump's natural impulses. And it turned out that, you know, as he was shouting it down, if you've watched the video, all of a sudden a bunch of people in the room start applauding and mm-hmm. he had just packed the room with, with people who had, uh, you know his supporters and, and and such who would applaud vigorously whenever he he scored a point. Basically, it's kind of like a you know like a live taping of uh, Celebrity Apprentice or something like that. Uh, and it struck me I had seen this before. I seen I had seen this once at the United Nations. There was one country that pulled this at their press conferences, and it was the only. Does anyone want to take a guess at which country it was? Uh, North Korea? I'm, gonna
2: go, I'm gonna go North Korea.
0: It, it was actually not North Korea because even North Korea doesn't doesn't pull this bullshit where you, where you have your own sycophants in the front row applauding you when you make statements at a press conference.
1: It was actually it, it was actually Equatorial Guinea. Of no, all I, I don't think that would have been uh, in my top <laughs> five or 10. Even I think I forgot that country existed.
0: But but it, it I mean it's it's a deeply undemocratic country where you know the 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 president gets like ten percent of all of the oil revenues in the country and it's it's like per capita income is is in is like above thirty thousand a year or something like that um, but most of its people live in abject poverty and it's the president's son was once described by Foreign Policy magazine as the world's richest minister of agriculture and forestry that's the kind of nation. That pulls this kind of stunt And it just sort of it sent chills down my spine Watching it I was like wow this is where We're headed <laughs> in the United States
1: I You know okay we could talk about Trump a bunch but I really would Rather not because he's doing The same crap to me what's interesting Is uh, the, This the, the differences between his Nominees and him and it makes no Sense to me you know like uh, the, Tillerson And the nomination uh, hearing wherein they're asking him about, so like you and and Trump talking about Russia. He's like, yeah, we haven't talked about that. I mean, how does that make any sense? And the fact that all these people keep coming out and they're, they're not against him in small ways, but against him in very big ways when it comes to consistently talking about Russia being a problem, when it comes to taking these, these things seriously, um, the Iran deal. The, there are massive differences. Uh, and I, I mean, are we to believe that they're just lying to Congress? Because I don't know that I do. I feel like these people have massive policy differences with Trump who doesn't understand things, so how will this actually work when it comes to governance?
0: It makes me wonder, I mean, th- that's one of the things about, about Trump. Where, I mean, you know, any time a new administration takes office, there's going to be some question of how they're going to trans- trans- transition their campaign rhetoric into reality. But I've never seen a greater... Uh, a degree of uncertainty about what an administration is actually going to do than, than this administration. It seems like, I mean, just based on the early signs, it really seems like the Affordable Care Act is going to be repealed. The, the wall or something like it is going to get built. And uh, it seems like he's he's at least... Initially, pretty serious about his intent to start trade wars with various uh, trading partners of the United States. But apart from that, uh, it's really uh, we're 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 relying on tweets. And those tweets often directly contradict things that that uh, his various nominees are saying. And to what extent are his nominees saying the things that they're saying in order to get themselves past the confirmation process? We just have no idea. As far as his foreign policy goes, I mean, you know, foreign policy is kind of my area. And I have absolutely no idea. Is he really going to overturn the Iran deal or did he just say that in order to be loud on
2: the campaign trail?
0: We have no idea. We have
2: absolutely no idea. I think there's not much point in taking at its word anything that's in any of his tweets or any of his speeches or anything like that. I think basically he fell into a groove of running a campaign. And when he won, what he really wanted to be doing after he won the election was continuing to run a campaign. He kept tweeting in the same way. He kept wanting to uh, to hold rallies. What did he call them? Like, like thank you rallies thank or something? You. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, he doesn't know anything, and it's clear. He has no idea what he's going to be doing when he gets into office. Um, like, you know, it, Super early on, I feel like a week after he won the election, there were reports that he wasn't reading his intelligence briefs. We have no reason to believe that he has started doing that. I think basically he's having fun where he can, trying to, like, what's the best way to word this? I don't think he wants to be president, and I think when he takes office, he still won't want to be president, and he effectively will not be. There's a reason why there's no rhyme or reason to the people who he's building up as his cabinet. I think basically he's turning to authorities around him and saying, who should get this job? Who should get that job? He doesn't really care. He doesn't really know. He's having fun on Twitter. He's like a little kid. So I think that if you want to look, if you're trying to figure out what is actually going to happen when he takes office, you just look to his cabinet. They're going to be the ones who are effectively the president. He's going to be on Twitter inciting racial violence, inciting sexual violence and all that, but he's not going to be making any decisions. People are going to be making these decisions for him. They're going to write his speeches for him. So.
1: back when though there was the when when they were still trying to get Kasich on board it was the idea that Kasich would be running domestic and international policy and people were like well what would Trump be doing <laughs> it's that. clear what Trump would be doing because he'd be doing what he's doing but I don't get the same vibe with Pence I don't get the feeling that Pence is really uh, immensely involved I, I feel like we would see more stories about That being the case, I like is Pence consistently around Trump even these days? I I mean, have we seen have either of you seen any stories that suggest what Pence is actually doing? I, I mean, he went in to talk about the Affordable Care Act. That's clearly a big part of what Pence is doing. But is he really engaged beyond that?
0: I I think – I mean what interests me about Pence is that he's much closer ideologically to Republicans in Congress than Trump is because I think Trump is – although he ran with the Republican Party and shares many of their their qualities – uh, I think he's kind of his own animal. He's Walter Russell Mead called this a neo-Jacksonian revolt, and 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 I think you you sort of see it. Like re- Republicans really want to gut the social safety net, and that's not what Trump supporters are particularly interested in. They're interested in gutting the social safety net for the poor. Uh, they're they're interested in in uh, economic nationalism, but I I don't think that you know they they like Social Security. That's what and they Medicare. think
2: they're interested in that's no, not what they're actually interested in. Well,
0: and this raises the question of why people voted for Trump despite all of the things that you know we've we've been talking about. and And I've basically come up with sort of two possible theories to explain why uh, Trump was able to succeed, apart from the fact that that Hillary did not run in my view, a particularly great campaign, which is sort of a side issue at this point. Um, There's economic nationalism and there's ethnic nationalism. And which one of those, you know, and they're kind of interrelated, but like which one of those was dominant in people's minds as they went to the polls, I think has grave implications for the future of the country. If people are voting because of economic nationalism, I think that kind of makes sense. And I think you sort of saw that on on the left as well with Bernie Sanders, where people, you know, we've very quietly had the longest uninterrupted uh, spate of e- economic growth in the history of the United States under the Obama administration. But for a lot of people, there's been this hollowing out and and a lot of people are economically hurting and the economy is transforming and, and free trade has something to do with that and automation has a lot to do with that and and just the changing of, of the economic workplace. And, and People don't feel as economically secure, a lot of people don't, as they used to. And I think that if if that is what was on people's minds, then you can just say Hillary ran a bad campaign. Like like she, she focused on all, all the wrong stuff. She was very sort of wonky and with with specific policy proposals that that nobody actually read on her website. And people needed this sort of "we're going to bring jobs back" message that Trump was very masterful at repeating over and over and over again. Uh, but. If it was ethnic nationalism and this fear of the other and fear of foreigners and fear of America's changing population demographics, I mean, America's population demographics are going to change. And that just doesn't bode well for the future of, of sort of national unity going forward.
1: Why does it have to be that kind of dichotomy? I, to me, it, one of the things that, that people have frequently said is that Hillary's message did not speak to, you know, the white rural sorts of folks, there was all of this dialogue about, you know, America's changing and yeah, we're all going to win in terms of the, the liberal progressive sort of folks. So, I mean, inherently it, the idea that, that that the the white folk who voted for Trump were, were doing it in this. I, I mean, I, I guess there's a defensiveness that I think is not necessarily as dangerous as as your kind of uh, binary makes it sound wherein uh, an offensive sort of thing would be would be different if it's to attack people it's very different than feeling marginalized yourself it
0: it, it did concern me that that basically that Trump was able to demonize minority groups to an enormous extent and still get people to vote for him, and so my, I, my I'm naturally curious if people voted for him because of that or in spite of it and my uh, my uh, I really want to th- i mean th- this also leads to a- another thing that 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 concerns me which is that uh, like one of the things that came out at you know that, that you kept hearing after the election over and over again was Trump supporters are racist, which kind of annoyed me i I don't think that that to me, what it looked a lot more like was that they were ethno-nationalist, which is not the same thing. Uh, racism posits that one racial group is superior, or you know, racial groups are superior to other racial groups, and, and that there's a there's, that there's a, you know a hierarchy of quality to, to race. Ethno-nationalism is much more about identity groups feel you know seeking to control their own affairs and, and take control of economic resources. It's less about superiority, uh, but it's still really dangerous. So like when looking at, at the course of Trump's campaign, the single scariest part for me was when he said that that judge was not capable of, of making an unbiased decision because of uh, his, his ethnic background, because he was of Hispanic background. And Paul Ryan at the time said that was the that was the sort of classic textbook racist comment. I believe is, was the way he put it. But to me, that wasn't a racist comment. It was an ethno-nationalist comment. It was saying that people will make decisions based on their ethnic, you know, affiliation to further their ethnic group. And that's to to a, a, you know for a country that is as as diverse as America is, especially given how much more diverse America is going to become, by mid-century we're going to be a majority-minority country, uh, that's an incredibly destructive way to look at, at, at ethnic and racial relations in the United States and just in general. And that's that's what really scares me. Like, if that is shared by a large portion of the American electorate, that really bodes. You know, c- calling them racist is 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 actually inaccurate, but it's actually it's sort of worse than that as far as the po- you know the possible future for
2: for the country. I think that it is true that that thread is running through the American people, and I think it. It's, this is not a thing that t- Trump and his rhetoric really brought about. Maybe it woke it up a little bit, but it's been alive and well since September 11th at least. Um, I think it's important to make the distinction uh, or rather like to adjust the definition of racism. I would say that um, I don't think it's bad to say that most Trump supporters are racist. I also think that most Hillary Clinton supporters are racist. I think that racism is basically just a fact of this country. But but is this
0: like like an Avenue Q style racism, like everybody's a little bit racist sometimes, doesn't mean we're going around committing hate crimes, like that kind of thing, or or, or like,
2: explain yourself a little bit. When I say, so, to me, the definition of racism is, racism is not a thing that a person can perpetrate. Racism, at least in this country, is an institutional force. It's sort of a fact of our country right now. Racism in this country is institutional white supremacy. And we've had that forever. We've had that since we committed mass genocide to, I guess mass genocide is maybe that's a redundant thing to say, but since we (laughs) we took over this country by way of genocide, we've sort of been built on racism. We do have a hierarchy in this country. The experience of a white person in this country is completely different from the experience of any person of color in this country. And uh, all you need to do if somebody if you're going to say that a person is racist to me all you're really saying is that person is not doing anything to fight against institutional racism that they've accepted that they've decided they've either chosen to, to be an active participant decided this is good or they've decided this is not my problem or it's not my fight to fight and that's a racist I'm racist we're all racist and it's—I mean—you can reduce it in like—you uh, know—you can write a show tune about it, but I think that that doesn't really reach the reality of—I mean—speak to any person of color in this country and ask them what racism is, and you're going to get a different definition than any white politician will give you about what racism is. You're going to get something that also that's far different from anything you'd read in the dictionary. So, beside that, um. I think that a yeah. lot of Trump supporters are bigots, I would say that. I don't know if it's more than half of them, but I think that some of the stuff he said, if you're excited by that, you are a bigot, and that is a personal choice. That's like a personal so decision
1: it of It sounds violence. like your definition of bigot is a lot of other people's definition of racist, then.
2: Sure, because I think that we need to have a word to describe the white supremacy that just exists as the status quo in America, and calling it white supremacy is not really useful because people think of white supremacy and they picture like Klan rallies in the 60s.
1: Uh, well, but people think of racist, and they think of somebody who's going to spit on a black person across the street. So I don't know that the argument there, in terms of how people interpret words, necessarily makes sense. I also think that you can draw a line between institutional racism and individual racism, but I, I think that's semantics.
0: You know, saying that someone is racist because they're not actively fighting against against institu- you know institutional forces and structural forces uh, is to me it it just seems counterproductive like i, I don't think it i don't i mean it, to me it it just seems inaccurate be, like so, so let me an example would be that so for example right before the fall of of yugoslavia to, as as an example there was certainly ethnic tensions between different groups but you also had you know Intermarriage between groups and people lived together and you know Bosnia in particular was a, was a multi-ethnic uh, region of, of Yugoslavia. And despite all of that, when the structural forces that pulled Yugoslavia apart happened, all of a sudden the same people who were like living next to each other were like ethnically cleansing each other. And so structural forces really matter. And so to, to say that like people are racist because they voted for, for, for Trump, I, I just, I mean, for starters, you can't win elections without them. So it, I, I feel like it's counterproductive. But also I, I think it's, a, it's almost a category error to, to blame individual people for structural
2: problems. People are the ones who perpetuate structural problems, though. People made
1: the structure. And people have to sustain the structure. Yeah, but I mean, at a certain point, institutions sustain themselves. And if you're dealing with historical things that have led up to this, you know, I mean, uh, having loans in the past that made it or lack thereof that made it so there was segregation when it came to housing, etc. I mean, those are things that other people decided to do and that still have repercussions now, but an individual... I I mean, it it takes – one person is not able to change structures. So, yes, people feed into structures in the aggregate, but, I mean, to blame somebody and say they're racist because history has brought us to the point we're at, I I mean, is, I think, a hugely unfair burden to put on individuals that live in 2017 uh, for things that were done over the course of generations. I don't think it's an issue of blame, I think it's an issue of recognition. I think it's important
2: that people who that people recognize that they are a person that which I would say that the three of us all are who benefit greatly from structural racism. And that doesn't mean that we put it in place, it doesn't mean that we want it to be in place, but just the awareness that this is something that exists and maybe there's maybe we know deep down that it's benefited us greatly and maybe that influences us just a little bit when we decide to say something or not say something in a social situation or speak up in a professional situation that we think is is racially tense like just the awareness can change the way that you act and it can alter your decisions and if everyone was more aware of that that's a large force I'm not talking about one person installing or dismantling structural racism I just think that there needs to be an awareness of what structural racism is and no white person at the very least and I count myself as white when I say this can think that okay structural racism exists institutional racism exists I get it but I'm aware of it and I'm not part of it because that's just not true. Every but where is your
1: line between somebody who is a race racist and somebody who is not? You said most. And I feel like you've gone back and forth between your definition of racism being either awareness or action. So, I mean, where 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 is the line? Uh, I
2: don't think what, – what did I – I said that I thought that most Trump supporters were racist.
1: You also said you thought most Hillary supporters were racist.
2: I would – so let me, uh, let me edit that. Joe, you can go back and edit this. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's going to happen. I I think uh, essentially all white Americans are racist. And I think that there are... uh, Winning slogan for the
0: the Democrats in 2020 right there.
2: (laughs) Well, all right, so let's move on to this then. Fuck the Democratic Party. They've completely failed. Completely and utterly impotent. (laughs) Like, basically, what Donald Trump figured out and what he's still doing is he's figured out that the media is impotent and the Democratic Party is impotent and nobody gets it. Nobody gets what his appeal is. Nobody gets why his message keeps punching through. Um, Nobody gets that he's figured out that he can make stuff up and because his language is more colorful than anyone else's and his sound bites are better than anyone else's, that he is going to win every one of these fights. But, but I I want to go back –
0: I mean, r- remember, he's a very unpopular candidate. I, I think that if the Democrats run somebody who – like, b- because if you look at if – you, if you cut to the chase on, on Trump's campaign, it was really just two things. Trade is a, a raw deal for Americans and immigration is bad and we're going to stop it. That was really what it was about. If you had a, a Democratic candidate who ran with a more cohesive message, who – was not directly associated with NAFTA and the Iraq War, who had not given speeches to Goldman Sachs and such and such and refused to release the transcripts of them and all these other things that just looked bad. Like, uh, if you if you had someone who, like who didn't have those qualities in this particular election cycle, then it's a totally different outcome because let's say the Democrats win at the presidential level. They're still a mess at the state and local levels, but they win at the presidential level and all of a sudden, you know, just remember just it's, we're talking just a few tens of thousands of votes in three country, three States uh, that, that changed the course of the entire election. Then all of a sudden everything changes. And instead of the democratic you know party being accused of playing identity politics, the Republican party is accused of, 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 Playing white nationalism and not appealing to various groups that are essential to that that are essential parts of the American fabric in order to have an inclusive message that can actually win elections and that forces the the Republican Party to moderate its its position and the Democrats look okay so part of this is just one bad campaign at the presidential level that has changed the the that has put the Democrats into this this nasty fight that we're seeing right now between the Sanders crowd and the, you know the other et etc um, the, over the future of
2: the party. I think the more apt change to look at to imagine having happened in the election is not what if the Democrats had run a candidate who was less just disastrously awful and so universally hated as Hillary Clinton, but what if, Somebody had come out for the Republicans with the exact same positions as Donald Trump, but who stated those positions in a more intelligent and more eloquent way and sounded kind of more like a career – like a Mike Pence.
1: It would have been crushed. Like,
2: to me, there's no doubt. Those
1: candidates were crushed. I mean, there there was a whole primary cycle and they all fell away.
2: Yeah, so I don't I don't think this is about Clinton. I think this is about, I, I really think it's about Trump f- figuring out how to cheat the system, in a way.
1: But, but well, yeah. no, I, I think this is about the system itself, and this yes. is about people being sick of the system. I mean, like, this could have been Bernie versus Trump, and there are various reasons that didn't happen, and I think there's only so much we can and should look back to uh going against and and finding the counterfactual and and figuring out what might have been and hypotheticals. But I mean, they're they're clearly on both sides and in the middle and wherever are people who do not like how the system currently is. I mean, even people within Congress complain about various elements of of how the system currently is. Um, So... That really is what's going on. I mean, you talk about the economic stuff. All of it is that we live in a very quickly changing world. And uh, for better or worse, people recognize that and either feel left behind by it or want to jump along and and push it along. So uh, Trump being different is I think a huge part of it. He was different than the Republicans. He was different than Hillary. They were sick of the Clintons and the Bushes. You know, people wanted there to be a change. And a lot of it was just change for change's sake. Um, I mean, we haven't mentioned the people who voted for Obama twice who voted for Trump. I mean, those people existed. And it it seems bizarre until you look at somebody who Um, might have supported Bush, maybe they didn't, whatever, but they got sick of Bush, so they wanted something different, so they got Obama in, then they got sick of Obama, and they wanted somebody else in. I mean, part of it also is because people want to see somebody at the top and either credit or blame them for things, even though these are institutional, systemic, all sorts of stuff like that. So having somebody who has that boldness of personality and also represents in so many ways a change – makes it so people can get behind that, even if he has this long list of things that even those individual voters don't agree with.
0: I think it's no coincidence that the last two people who have been elected president for, uh, by the American people both thought the Iraq War was a crappy idea and defeated favorite opponents who thought the Iraq War was a good idea. I think that sort of the, the, this turning on on uh, elites and experts uh, uh, is emblematic in that, that... that that most of the foreign policy establishment seems to have been you know associated with the Iraq war that you know a large number of senators voted for it, Hillary voted for it. almost all of the Republican establishment supported the war and felt that the fact that Iraq is going to hell now is obama 's fault and not the fact that we invaded in the first place and that was the standard line that was being trotted out by you know like if, if Marco Rubio had been the nominee, we would have had someone who basically wanted to invade Iraq and Syria all over again and uh, Trump rebelled against all of that. I mean, he is, his appeal, uh, to the extent that he has appeal, uh, comes from the fact that he's willing to call out the system as as rigged, to say that it's rigged, to say that he as a billionaire understands how it's rigged and will, will fix it, and to postulate that America should do what's in the interest of the American people, and that something like the Iraq War is not in the interest of the American people, and, and that we're just not going to do it, and, 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 that, and Syria likewise.
1: I think also you have somebody who, uh, over the course of many, many years, has touted himself to be a success um, and has been in the public eye. And there are people who bought into that and said, you know, we want somebody who can change things. Here's a guy who is successful in this other realm. So he should and can apply that and hopefully make changes and make a success out of America, which is no longer successful, hence make America great again. So, I mean, there is a logic to it. And in some ways, it's it's a sad hopefulness that if anybody really looked into it, like we, the three of us have and, and many others, you go, well, that makes no sense and it's really not based on anything. But if you feel like nobody is championing for you, Uh, even if you kind of in your heart of hearts know that this guy maybe isn't going to, if you're picking between the person who is hiding who they are constantly and has had years of scandals and whatever else versus somebody who's out there in your face and seems to be uh, willing to change things and willing to tell you how he sees it, I I, I see the logic to an extent, but it, it really is kind of paper thin and very surface to, to well, I, I think that's, go, jump onto that.
0: I think that's one of the reasons why his approval rating has, has plummeted in the last few weeks is that people are are seeing the way that he's operating and the way that he's going to operate as not in in their interests like he said he was going to be. The idea of appointing his son-in-law to a high-ranking position, uh, of still not releasing his tax returns, of not putting his business in a blind trust, of all of these these conflicts of interest, the, the, the sort of violation of the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution, which no one, including me, had heard of before this because it wasn't an issue before this. Uh, from day one of his presidency, the possible ties, with, you know, business ties with Russia or economic ties or what, what have you, uh, people are looking at the, you know, the fact that his cabinet is full of billionaires, and people are looking at this and be, being like, this isn't. This isn't going to make America great again. This is going to make Trump great. This just seems like an elite person enriching himself at the extent of uh, at the expense of, of the people. And I think that's one of the reasons why people, you know, even people who supported him initially, have started to look at him like, is this really uh, uh, what we voted for?
1: I think they also believed that there was some switch. That was going to magically flip. And I think even the media was trying to tout this and, you know, he was going in to talk to Obama uh, to to make it seem like there was something that was going to change in him and he was going to be a fundamentally different person as a candidate versus a president-elect and then a president. And I don't know, uh, other than in a week or a few days or two weeks ago, depending on when you're listening to this, I, I don't see how that's going to change because this man is clearly who he is.
0: That sort of brings me to my next question. Like, Ronnie, you and I had debates. Uh, the three of us had a uh, a uh, previous podcast called "Don't Worry About the Government," and many times during the course of that podcast, uh, Ronnie, you and I in particular would debate uh, whether or not the character of a a Public official matters, and often I would be like i don't care if 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 this political <laughs> official has had a sex scandal, for example, I just am interested in what they're you know what kind of policies they're proposing well, so then Trump comes along and <laughs> i mean uh, i mean for one thing it's it's i like Committing sexual assault is a very different thing than having an affair, but but also just uh, how much does temperament and, and and the character of this person and the, the clear vindictiveness. I mean, he he said in one of his books that whenever somebody strikes at him, he strikes back ten times harder. Like and and you've seen that on Twitter over and over again, where he's picked these pointless fights uh, and just you know. Failing pile of garbage, failing this, failing that. Sad. This, that, and the other. You know, media organizations, opposition politicians, uh, pretty much civil rights uh, yeah, advocates.
1: civil and rights leaders. advocates.
0: Uh, yeah, and, he
2: said that. He said that John Lewis is all talk, no action. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I mean, what? to be fair,
1: to be fair, to be fair, he he <laughs> was referring to him currently in his role as a congressman. I mean, I, I do think that. It's it's unfair to to paint what Trump said as being about the guy overall. I mean, stupid. It's tone deaf, and clearly, it's not good for his PR. But I do think that he oh, wasn't. this
2: I, I think it's great for his PR.
1: Well, it depends who you think he's trying to attract when it comes to stuff. I mean, also, Joe, when it comes to politicians and whatever, what bothers me the most, you know, I mean, one of our big discussions back back when with Samford oh yeah um and how he disappeared and didn't tell people I mean it's when it impacts your job or when it flies in the face of whatever you're doing or just paints you as a general hypocrite that it bothers me I mean when it comes to Trump uh, as you said like the the public and the private and all that seems to mesh in such a way where people knew what they were getting um a, to an extent. I mean, with the Russia stuff, maybe, may, maybe not as much. There's one thing I, I, I know we're talking about temperament, but I did want to bring this up just, just to make sure we did, um, which is uh, Congress. Um, I'm very interested to see uh, if, if Congress actually starts bringing back the idea of checks and balances and getting back to them themselves, you know, being what Congress should be. And you're starting to see little bits of that with, with individual senators uh, who are are you know pushing back on nominees, etc. You've got even Rand Paul who who voted against his party. Um, you've got uh, the the senator from West Virginia who's now talking about working with Republicans. I wonder if a vacuum uh, of power in the executive and scandals and all sorts of other things will make it so there is a better balance when it comes to. So I guess in some ways this does relate to temperament that this guy is not prepared or interested in um, actually being being a president, so maybe that will make it so we have a legislative branch that is further back to doing things.
2: I think that kind of all depends on whether legislators discover or not that going along with Trump and taking upon themselves a bunch of Trump's tactics or that style of, of American politics is it helps them keep their job because I think that's essentially what the job is of every person in Congress is to keep their job. That's like job number one. Um, I think that you can, that Trump can be an argument both for and against that character matters in a presidential election or in any election. It's like his character did matter a whole lot, but sort of for the opposite reasons that we were talking about when we talked about like, rod blagojevich and mark sanford and stuff like that i think the country is different than it was then like some of the most popular people on tv now are like the worst person from the bachelorette you know and i like the worst person on any shitty reality show people are hugely popular
0: ethan correct me but you're, you're you are the the professional wrestling expert Trump was literally a wrestling heel at one point, wasn't he? Like, wasn't that part of his uh, career? No,
2: actually, he was a wrestling
1: babyface at one point. Yeah, um, I don't, he, he was against McMahon. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, excuse me. Yeah.
0: This is why you know. Th- this is why I yield to your expertise on this
2: issue. I I, do, I just don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to professional wrestling. I mean, it's becoming more and more relevant to the real world. It seems.
1: Well, the Small Business Administration had...
2: Well, that and I I feel like uh, the world has always sort of uh, professional wrestling. One of the reasons why it's so fascinating to me is that it's really uh, steeped in old school carny culture, which is basically the culture of an insider group that had a lot of money to be made, all their success to be had uh, on the like based on the idea of not letting people in, not revealing what's really going on and that's basically what the government is so as like the as media sound bites become shorter and shorter and like people's patience becomes shorter and shorter like i don't want to sound like if you know some like old idiot who's complaining Kids about millennials. these days and their tweets <laughs> right but i mean it's true like i feel like I have the patience to, to delve into things deeply and to read long-form pieces, but it's decreasingly actually true. Like, I watch things in
1: GIF form. <laughs> like, GIF, excuse me. Um, oh No, you were fine the first time. I've always wondered how to pronounce the first time. that. Well, do you go with the majority of the human population or the creator of it? That really, I think, is what the debate comes down to.
2: I don't know. It's hard to say. And also, I'm 33 years old now, so now I don't know what I was, what I was saying anymore.
1: We're all fucked. Okay, let's talk about faux <laughs> You know, I, when it comes to Trump and uh, how he's relating to the world, what the hell is going to happen? I mean, wh- one, Cuba hasn't been, other than Obama's decision uh, with wet foot, dry foot recently, I mean, what is Trump going to do? I haven't heard a peep as to what the relationship with Cuba is going to be like. My guess is because of all those billionaire friends who want to get there, there probably is not going to be much of a difference. Um, it's certainly not a, a backtracking of that. Um and now there was just a piece uh, today about how all of these other intelligence agencies are now looking into the the, the purported dossier from the British intelligence guy. So uh, the idea of the U.S. being the top dog, ironically enough, Trump is probably going to be popping that bubble quite nicely.
0: I'm Haritz reported yesterday or the day before that. The Israeli intelligence services were told by the American intelligence services to stop sharing intelligence with the U.S. because uh, it would go to Trump, who would give it to Russia, who would then give it to Iran. The, and th- This is Haaretz reporting this. That's insane. <laughs> that's absolutely insane. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it really – the the whole issue of, of uh, an administration that's directly hostile with its own intelligence services is um, – uh, worrisome, to put it mildly, uh, but it also—I mean—that's th- just—that's—that's that's almost a domestic policy angle. But then the, the foreign policy angle of like what, uh, what what Trump is actually going to do uh, raises all sorts of interesting questions because. On the campaign trail, he kept saying, "You know, this is a raw deal for America. This is a raw deal for America." Does that mean that he's going to undo, for example, America's security commitments to NATO and to our to our allies in East Asia?
1: Not according to his nominees.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Or oh, most of them. But 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 yeah, like – or does this mean that Trump will be able – is just setting himself up to be able to say, well, I got a fairer deal out of NATO. I got a fairer deal and then he'll just keep doing all the same stuff. You know, that I was able to fix the Iran deal and now it's in America's interest again and we'll just keep doing it. It's kind of like, you know, in Trump's head, Trump is right whatever Trump does. And so uh, in theory he, he doesn't have to necessarily be against anything. He's not ideologically opposed to say Iran for example in the same way that you know Marco Rubio is. He is in, instead beholden to himself. And so we don't
1: know what he's going to do. I mean and what what about when he talked to the president of Pakistan was I who he spoke with and was like I love Pakistanis
0: Oh, God. The the readout. He called them an extraordinarily intelligent people. And he used the word fantastic, I believe, three times in one sentence. This was officially a readout that the Pakistanis released. But the language was so much like what how Trump actually talks that no one doubted for a second that it was like direct transcripts of stuff that he said. It's just, and, and it's sort of like, how does this square with his Muslim ban? Does he know that Pakistan is a mostly Muslim country? That it was <laughs> like, no one has any idea what's going to happen next, and and so it's it's almost it's it's almost exciting. I mean, there's a part of me that's kind of like, thank goodness we have a Republican president who th- thinks the Iraq War was a bad idea. Um, uh, that's that's liberating in its in its own way, uh, but also I'm. Terrified out of my wits because the entire global security architecture that has held the, the, the long peace of the last 70 years is under threat like never before in human history, like in the whole time that, that my parents have been alive.
1: Forget about the Western world, though. What about all of the, the Chinese media that are like, this is leading towards some potential war? Does that concern you?
0: Yes. Yes, it concerns <laughs> me a lot. <laughs>
2: I feel uh, like I'm so, a little less So you're less happy
1: that this guy was against a war that's done, but you're not necessarily totally concerned about the wars he might be leading us into imminently.
2: Look, it's there, there's trade-offs. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. He, I mean, his 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 self-contradictory statements on anything to do with foreign policy basically just prove that he doesn't know what he's talking about. He hasn't read anything about that. He hasn't listened to his briefings. I think his positions on foreign policy are going to be he's flavor flaved to his Secretary
1: of State, and that's it. I don't think that's where his interest is. But I don't think he's going to be satisfied with that. That's the problem with Trump. If he was just going on these thank you rallies for the next four years or however long until he gets impeached or whatever, then I – that would be one thing. But I don't get the vibe that that he would be satisfied with that. He wants to put his stamp on stuff. He He wants wants to put his stamp
2: on – which member of Public Enemy do we know more about now, Is going on now than than the other? Do we know more about Chuck D's life or more about Flavor Flav's life? Which one has been all up in all kinds of reality shows and pops up on – social media all the time. But my point
1: is, I don't think that, like, that suggests somebody who just wants attention. And I think Trump wants recognition beyond that. He wants to to have a legacy. He's going to want to be compared to Obama and other presidents. He's going to want to actually take action. Now, mind you, I agree with the idea that some of that action might just be relabeling or slight tweaking, but I don't think he's just going to go meandering around and tweeting and letting other people do other stuff. I mean, this is going to blow up in so many ways in terms of the i I mean how long until mattis gets dismissed like there's no way that the two of them are going to be able to to stick or or resigns um in in a very like big sort of way i i cannot picture a scenario where the two of them are able to stick together in any lengthy period of time
0: i personally assuming the world doesn't end in 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 you know nuclear holocaust because we, we get into a pissing contest over a couple of Ma- know, no 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 eyes. sorry
1: Joe Joe just a quick yes. correction M- mass nuclear holocaust
0: mass nuclear holocaust <laughs> um, over, over like you know like the Spratly Islands um, assuming that doesn't happen in, in, in you know four to eight years when this administration is done just imagine all of the tell all books that will come out of it from the various <laughs>
1: cabinet officials I don't think it's going to take four to eight years for those
0: I have, uh, I have, oh man, I, I just have so much more to say, but um, we are approaching. I also wouldn't you know. be
2: surprised if the administration is gone in three years. Do
0: you think so? I mean, just think. A lot of people are, are are taking straws on how quickly he's impeached, but I I think they underestimate the the loyalty of the Republican Party to anyone who can win. Like I just can't imagine the Republican Party getting him out of power. And since the Senate map looks so terrible in twenty eighteen for Democrats, and the House is so gerrymandered, it, it would it would take an absolute landslide in twenty eighteen uh, against the Republican Party to put. Uh, people in, into Congress who would actually carry out something like that. Like, he would like just imagine, like, again, all the stuff that he's done already that, that is like arguably impeachable or like illegal or, or, or deeply unethical uh, that, 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 that people seem to be fine with. Imagine how much worse he would have to do in office before Congress would actually consider taking ac- a Republican led Congress would actually have to uh, take any action against him.
1: You don't think that they would rather have Pence in though? That does that, that is an interesting point. And I think also, you know, I if they're calculating this, they probably want to do it in an amount of time where Pence can get something done or, you know, look like he's doing things as opposed to right toward the end of the term, you know, so so Pence could get reelected. <laughs> so, I
0: It is interesting. Like there are certain historical parallels to this. Like I've been reading, I was reading about America during the age of Andrew Jackson and there, there are many parallels between Trump and Jackson. And there are also certain parallels between Trump and, and Tyler who was a couple presidents later, who was basically a president without a party uh, because his own party disowned him in some, in some ways we've seen some of this before and it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, my history can beat up your politics podcast. Uh, there's a there's a there's a precedent for almost anything but in some ways there's just no precedent for what we're going through right now and that's what makes it kind of exhilarating and scary
2: <laughs> i would say that i'm not exhilarated
1: by it anymore i'm not sure if i ever was <laughs> i you know i am to an extent in that i do believe that there can be good changes out of this you know we we talked about the democrats and and where they're at I mean, if Hillary had won, then there would not have been any sort of reckoning for them and there would have not been a huge change and there would have been a justification and a vindication of the idea uh, that, that the Debbie Wasserman Schultzes of the world were, were were doing what they're supposed to and the Chuck Schumers, you know, I, I think that there can and will be more of a generational change and more of a pivot when it comes to how uh, the, the Democratic Party is, is doing things. I mean, even, you know, Cuomo... Is, is pushing for all these uh, these voter changes. I don't know that that would have been a priority for him necessarily if if Hillary had won. So I, I think that, that there can be uh, a lot of changes. And Obama and um, uh, Eric, uh, blah, 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 former Attorney General, Holder, Holder. Um, are doing the gerrymandering stuff, which they might have done anyway, but would they have gotten the attention that they're probably going to get under a Trump regime? Probably not. So... I think that that yes, it's terrible and we could all die, but this also could jumpstart lots of changes by virtue of activating folks and making them more aware than they would have been had Hillary been in office. Yeah, I think basically the only thing to get exhilarated about is that it does
2: sort of a has a similar effect, but in the radical community. Like because it's sort of like one of the effects of especially the last, it felt like maybe one month or six weeks of Trump's campaign before he won, is that a lot of white supremacists came out of the woodwork. And that's like totally gross, but also you can twist that into being a good thing, that we sort of know that that thread is alive and well in America. But I think I was more excited about that before he won the fucking presidential election. I think after that I was just bummed and scared.
0: I have I have one more question I want to ask you guys. Uh and uh it, it may not seem like the most directly relevant but I think it sort of has implications for the way the country's going to go in the future, which is are you going to buy stuff from LL Bean?
1: I I mean is he if he puts tweets out like that in in office is he subject to anything because the, I, I've seen conflicting arguments as to that
0: well, it does it does raise interesting things. If he has the power to change a company's stock price by tweeting about them. Doesn't this just like open wild doors for insider trading?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what they – I think that's exactly what they had said, that Obama put in some sort of a rule in place that applied to him as well, but that Trump could reverse that. But when it comes to insider trading, that even the president, I think, is not immune to that. So that, that is but, one uh, way but, that they yeah. could do things.
0: But but it also kind of raises this question because because uh, f- for those who don't know, one of LL Bean's board members, not the company itself, but one of their board members, uh, donated money to a a, a pro Trump Trump uh, action committee.
2: More money than is legally allowed.
0: More money than is legally allowed, it appears. Um, and uh, as as a result of this. As a result of this, there, there started this online campaign to boycott LL Bean, and LL Bean released a statement saying, "Frantically, we are not a political company." Um, and, and, but one of their board members did do this, and then Trump put out this tweet saying, "Everyone, go buy LL Bean." Uh, and um, and it does raise this question for me of like in this age, are we so polarized that people are – that different parties are going to buy from different companies and that we're going to have these sort of different economic supply chains to Hillary's America and Trump's America?
1: Uh, I mean it sort of forward. happened with Target, right? I mean with, with all the the trans and, and gender-neutral bathrooms and stuff, um, Kellogg's. So yeah, these these boycotts are are happening on on both ends.
0: Like like, our brands gonna have to pick this. It, to me, this just seems so destru- destructive to the republic to have people buying different things based on based on party affiliation. As as if we're not polarized already. Now there's economic incentives for different companies to to line up behind different political parties and and to have uh, the president in office backing certain companies and punishing other companies and this sort of thing like it just like it just seems so corrosive to the republic as a whole and and it just creates these structural incentives for division that that go deeply to the economic level and and encourages further polarization to
1: to me but- I mean, the incentives are done by the the people themselves. When people say we are going to boycott this, and then they gather together and do it, then they're the ones who are doing. it. I mean, I I think it's almost sounds like you have this reverse that the companies are making the decisions. The companies make the decisions based on people choosing to buy or not to buy their products.
0: Yeah, and that, that sort of, which is why I sort of put it from the the consumer perspective, which is should you know it, it like. None of us on this podcast are, are like rah rah Trump. None of us are really Trump supporters. Should we boycott? You said, LL yeah, Bean? You said, you said that as
2: if we are we are actually just like tepid Trump supporters. <laughs> yeah. We're not rah rah, but we're like
1: let me see what he can do. Give him no. a chance. Give yeah. him a chance. I mean, you'd have to pick a brand I actually gave a crap about. You know, I mean, I I, I have never purchased uh, an LL Bean. The one piece product of that LL Bean made.
2: Bean made. That was worth buying was the LL Bean Classic Wicked Good Slippers. And they were super good quality and they were made in the USA and they're not made in the USA anymore. They're not? No. Does Trump know about this? I mean, does Trump know anything about anything? <laughs> Dude, wh- where's, the, where's the, you know, LL Bean, make slippers in,
0: in USA or pay big border tax? Hashtag MAGA.
2: Where is that tweet? I don't know. I'm sure <laughs> oh, he whiff. thinks that they're, they're great slippers, tremendous slippers. <laughs>
1: Uh <laughs> are his feet as small as his hands.
2: Maybe the kid's sizes are still mid in the USA. <laughs> he has fantastic feet, guys. The, the best, best feet. feet. <laughs> Jeez.
0: <laughs> um, is the onion going to survive these next four years? Because the actual headlines, like parry to head energy, like that's that's not a real thing. That's an onion headline, but it really happens. Like is that when it, is, is his hearing? This I, I haven't even heard I
1: forgot about that.
0: Uh, I'm gonna leave that long pause in there as a reminder of Perry's past. Um. <laughs> Oops <laughs> uh, it's just like, oh man, I, like in some ways, I think they'll they'll do better than ever because there's just so much material. But on the other hand, the material has gotten so absurd in reality that it's kind of like Tina Fey impersonating Sarah Palin, where she's literally just doing the exact same thing that the actual person that's being impersonated is doing. And it's funny, because it's exactly what the person is doing. I think that The Onion is literally just going to have to start running actual news headlines. And that's the joke.
2: Yeah, or... They'll just put more of their personnel behind ClickHole, which is the future of The Onion, which is complete escapism. And I think that's one of the reasons why people like ClickHole so much compared to The Onion now, is that it doesn't make them feel like garbage about the real world.
0: It's dark times. I, um, I want to conclude... By first of all, thanking you both and then for coming on the podcast once again, and uh, then to ask you your predictions for 2017. What do you think is going to happen uh, in the course of this next tumultuous year?
1: I think we're going to start seeing leadership in Congress and there will be more personalities. You know, they, they've tried with these filibusters and things to to get their names out there. But I think with, with Trump being nothing near an actual leader on the national political stage, we're going to see there being a, a jostling and not necessarily in a negative sort of way and not necessarily in a way that's that's just showboating, but I think Congress is going to be doing more and there's, there's going to be a give and take and it's going to be a very different situation than we've seen probably in, in my cognizant lifetime uh, when it comes to relationship between Congress, the president and the American people. Ethan,
2: I think, I think the ACA is going to get uh, um, overturned with an extremely long sunset period so that people will keep their insurance at least until the midterm elections. Um, And I think most of his other claims are just going to, people are going to forget about them like they forget about anything that doesn't get mentioned for about two weeks. And it's essentially going to be an administration run by Mike Pence and a bunch of uh, Republican insiders. I think he's going to chime in about once a week uh, well, I mean, of course, every day from his Twitter, but he's going to have one soundbite that really catches fire uh, a week or a couple a month or something, and they're going to be super inflammatory, and they're going to incite violence, and people are going to suffer because of them, but basically, it's going to be just a Republican administration. Um, I guess that's longer than a one-year-ahead prediction, but I kind of just think Donald Trump is full of shit. And yeah, that's,
1: that's about as tepid as you can get as a supporter, Ethan. I guess so.
0: (laughs) My prediction is that there's going to be this huge blow. I don't know if it's going to happen this year because they have to, they have to blow their one reconciliation thing. You know, they can only do it so often uh, on repealing the affordable care act. But I think there's going to be this, this epic showdown between Trump and the Republicans in Congress over whether or not to destroy the American social safety net where Republicans, they agree that the Affordable Care Act needs to go and they'll probably, you know, cut Medicaid and food stamps and things like that. But as far as Social Security and Medicare, I think the the Paul Ryans of the world want to basically do away with those. And Trump supporters really don't want that to happen. So I think there's going to be a huge showdown over that. And if there isn't, and Trump just rolls over and does whatever the Republicans in Congress want him to, I think we're going to see even more political turmoil and, and you know, someone even crazier uh, running in the 2020 election.
2: Who would that be? Who's that going to be?
1: <laughs> Kanye. Oh, man. Kony.
0: Kony 2020. <laughs> Oh man! Did you guys hear about this? Um, the The New York Times reported today that uh, the, um, the the Trump admit the transition team sent this question to the, the questionnaire to the State Department, just brutalizing all of basically all U.S. programs on the continent of Africa. Like, we have spent hundreds of millions of dollars hunting down Joseph Kony. Is it worth it? We've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on PEPFAR. Has it done any good? Is it turning into an entitlement program with all these, like, accusatory questions? And, like, there's one on Ebola that was like, how do we stop Ebola from hitting the United States as opposed to, like, you know, anywhere else that it might hit? Um, uh, It's sort
1: of... Isn't there a 100% effective (laughs) vaccine now? Yes, um, isn't that how you do it? Yes, <laughs>
2: but <laughs> Donald Trump doesn't like vaccines, though.
1: Oh, that's true. That's Robert true. F. Kennedy Jr. Oh which, no. Like he was the one who purported that he was on this committee, and it, I don't think it's been actually corroborated.
0: Fake news. It's a killer. Ethan Chang, Ronnie Weiss, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: <laughs> Very welcome. I uh, I hope that we don't all die and can do this again sometime in the current life, as opposed to the afterlife. And I hope that whatever the afterlife brings, it is not too many of these podcasts.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to interpret that remark.
1: <laughs> I just can't imagine doing this like after I'm dead. That's all. Oh,
0: okay. Uh, I, I I I see what you're saying.
1: Um, <laughs> it just seems to me to be a strange way to, you know, to spend that. <laughs> um,
0: eternally remarking on on the, on, on the world. Um, it's mean, sort of
1: like a lost or something that that we're stuck together yep. or something.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, Ethan Chang, Ronnie Weiss, uh, thank you once again uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, let me ask. Um, uh, if, if either of you have a, an internet presence or anything that you would like to promote about yourselves, this is the time.
2: I'm uh, at Ethan Chang on Twitter. I uh, mostly tweet about the NBA basketball and pro wrestling. Um, and I have fun doing that. I'm going to keep doing that. Ethan, we should really start
0: a uh, a, uh, a basketball podcast because there aren't enough of those.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think in general there needs to be more podcasts by three white men in their early 30s <laughs> <Did> you- <laughs>
0: the other day I saw someone tweet that that the um, the uh, the plural uh, noun of a uh, of for, for white males is now a podcast like you know a murder of crows <laughs> a podcast of white males
2: <laughs> hey, we gotta live up to our namesake
1: <laughs> Prani where can they find you I'm Ronnie Weiss. You can find me on Twitter, R-O-N-I-W-E-I-S-S. I -I I, uh, post a lot of links and posts and thoughts and such on Facebook, too, so you can follow me there. Uh, If you're in the New York area, the New York Travel Festival is in its fifth year. If you're into travel, April 20th through 23rd, uh, NYTravFest.com. If you are into travel, also, uh, Travel Unity is the not-for-profit I started about increasing diversity in the travel space. So, uh, letting people know that travel can be a part of both their lifestyles as a uh, as a possible thing to do and as a career choice.
0: Uh, thank you both once again for uh, coming on the podcast, and uh, we will uh, we will hopefully do this again soon because again, we will hopefully be alive. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's great. You can find the podcast online at uh, com slash podcast. That's J-O-E-G-E-N-I dot com slash podcast. And you can subscribe for free in the iTunes store uh, by searching for ambassadors at large if you have not already done so. We're also apparently on Stitcher and other forms of of podcast dissemination. I had nothing to do with that, but apparently that's the case, I am told. So you can find us there as well. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode real soon. Until then, so long.